to, uh, to all of you joining us who you're here uh, in the room with us, uh, sun streaming in through the window. Welcome to those of you joining us online uh, simultaneously, and welcome also to those of you joining us at some point later in the week. Um, Glad to be worshiping together and so glad that you could join us today. As folks are, are filtering in from the fellowship hall, uh, there's good conversation um, and it's good to be together on a chilly fall day. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us, glad that you could be with us today. When our congregation worships, we do so using a printed liturgy and also words that we sing and say together that are on the screens, um, just so everyone knows how, uh, how we can be, uh, how we'll be worshiping and engaging together today. Uh, as we get started, there's a couple things that I want to highlight for you about things happening in the life of our church. The first is that Mr. Keith Vandenacker, who's coming in in the blue shirt there. Uh, uh, Keith, can you wave? Keith, can you wave? Oh, yeah. So, Keith... <laughs> Keith didn't know he was going to be on the spot right there, but Keith uh, is helping us to be our connection point to a, um, a coalition of churches here in Northbridge that occasionally do, do work together, and one of those events is coming up next Saturday called the, uh, the Crop Hunger Walk. Um, and today is the last Sunday that you can sign up to participate in that and to donate to it. And Keith actually has a table set up in the fellowship hall to learn more about that and to be able to sign up to participate as well. So please do uh, visit Mr. Keith Vandenacker over there after the service and, and find out more. Uh, the other thing to highlight for you is that if you are just joining us or if it's been a while, you're stepping into uh, an exciting rhythm in the life of our church. This is the first Sunday of our Faith Promise season. Uh, and, and to kick this off, we have a guest with us, uh, Mr. Scott Larson, uh, who's with us today from Straight Ahead Ministries up in Worcester, which is a partner organization that we've worked with for a number of years, and I've just been here long enough to know how to say Worcester, so this very, it's important for me to be able to have gotten that right, see? Uh, anyway, but Scott's here. He's going to tell us a little bit about Straight Ahead Ministries during the service, but then after the service, he'll be with us for a while, for a longer conversation to hear about uh, his work and what it's like to be involved in this ministry. Um, so please do, after the service, grab your cup of coffee, grab a snack, and then come back and join us uh, for a chance to hear more about him and, and his work. Um, that being said, friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Because when we gather, we don't do so just for updates on the community life, but to gather in the presence of God himself, who has come to meet with you. So friends, would you say this call to worship together? Good morning, everyone. So our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout, let us shout aloud, aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God.
the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you laid down your life that i would be set I sing for all that you've done for me. Who hangs his chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice. Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You you've done for me worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You I sing for all that you've done for me.
darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you Father, we are sorry for the many times that we have left you to satisfy our own selfish desires, for the times we have hurt the, fam the members of our family. Father, Father we, we have, have sinned. sinned. Forgive us. For the times our eyes have wandered. 
Father, we have sinned. Forgive us. For the times that we are too weak to stand up for what is right. Father, we have sinned. Forgive us. We confess we need you always, Lord. Deliver us from our self-made prisons. Let's take a moment now in a silent confession to God. Our God pardons our sins and forgives our disobedience. Our God does not stay angry forever. Instead, God delights to show mercy. God's compassion tramples our sin underfoot and hurls our iniquities into the sea. Thanks be to God. He is good. Assured of God's forgiveness and his transforming work in our lives, we are compelled. We are compelled because we see that um, we, had, we had turned away from God, and in turning away, God gave us more. He gave us his most precious thing, even after we had spurned him for all the other things that he had given us. And, and the result is that all we are left to say is, Lord, command me. Right? I, you have given everything. I can only give you everything in response. And this, this is not obligation. This is freedom, my friends. And so we are compelled as a, as a family, as a body, as, as people being made new to open our hands and to give generously and freely, which is what we do now at this part in the service when we take time to give for our offering. And this place is a chance to participate in the work of supporting our congregation, but also other ministries. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for us and invite the deacons to come up and help us to be generous together for God's glory and God's church. But we will also have a chance to see an update and hear an update from Scott uh, about the work that uh, Straight Ahead Ministries is doing. So friends, would you pray with me? Lord, having um, seen us turn away from you like prodigal sons and daughters, uh, you gave freely. Right? And when we came home, having squandered all of it, you welcomed us and you gave us more. You gave us a name. You put the ring on our fingers. You killed the fatted calf. You welcomed us home. Lord, teach us now through, um, through this offering to be like you, to participate in the freedom and generosity and joy that is the economy of God. We ask that you would take the things that we give now and use them to make your name great and your story larger in the world around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Heavenly Father, you always amaze me. Let your kingdom come in my world and in my life. You give me the food I need to live through today. Forgive me as I forgive the people that wrong me. Lead me far from temptation. 
I just want to thank you all for being such a big part of this ministry to youth who are locked up around you. And most of us don't know, there's about 45 places just like this where kids are locked up here in Massachusetts. And uh, I've always known these 35 years since we started Straight Ahead Ministries that the church is critical for these young people. I've become more and more convinced just how critical these young people are for the church as well as you hear John speak there um, about how going in and seeing God move through him changed him, and it brings a life back into the church. And I'm really privileged to be part of uh, kicking off your whole Faith Promise campaign. And uh, I was looking at the missionary list out there, and it just reminds me of Jesus' final words in Acts chapter 1-8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And I just see all of those represented in your bulletin and on that board out there. And I think straight ahead is just a small part of that a scenario, and it's really the Samaria, uh, the outcast that is not across the world, but often is right around us, but it's the place we're not thinking of. It may be the place we don't even want to go. We don't, I mean, who wants to go in with, uh, into jails or into a juvenile jail? Uh, and yet so many of you, as I see your faces, have been a part of that over the years in Pleasant Street going in to a girls' facility in Grafton and just loving on the young people and being, um, I think as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, you might have had 10,000 teachers, but you didn't have many fathers, didn't have many mothers, you didn't have many grandfathers or grandmothers in Christ. And he said, I became that. And so that's something we can all do, whether it's in a jail, uh, we can be grandfathers and grandmothers and fathers and mothers in the gospel. And I, I know especially for those who feel like they're in a Samaria, um, termed by the religious uh, group, the dogs, that what they need the most is a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother in the gospel. And so you, you, you do play that role. And some of you who'd like to get reengaged again, uh, post-COVID, it's a little bit different world in there, as we'll talk about after the service. Um, We'd love to engage you, but thank you for the role that you play as a church in making it all possible. And with that, if you could just rise as we continue with our songs. Shall ever be happy. 
the peace of Christ is with you. Let's greet our neighbors and share the peace of Christ. All right. Um, could I have our kids fourth uh, age four through uh, second grade, come on up for a second, because as you continue your worship, we, uh, we want to bless you and, and honor you and, um, and do that together. Come on up, guys. You mind if I sit with you down here for a second? There we go. That's better, I think. People of God, what is our prayer? All... Continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. 
Amen. And also with you. Nice job, guys. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Hello again. I'm just trying to keep track of where I'm supposed to be today. Um, as we continue our worship, uh, it, it takes about half the service to get us to this place where we can do this very important and very ordinary thing, which is to talk freely to God. Uh, and it requires remembering God calls us. It requires remembering uh, his grace and forgiveness to us. It requires remember, remembering passing peace to each other to get to a place where we can believe and trust that he really does hear us and love us. And so friends, uh, today we turn our attention now to praying, to lifting up the concerns that, that we have from among us and that we see in the world around us to God in whose hands uh, are just the right place to put them. And today, in particular, I want to focus uh, most of our prayer on our missionaries whom we support, and I have a number of updates from them. But there is one, uh, two, a couple of things I want to highlight for you because I'll go over them quickly. The first is that um, at classes the other week, uh, a church, we, we had a new uh, church grow up and become an established church. The Indonesian uh, CRC in Dover, New Hampshire became incorporated as a church, which is a uh, reason for great joy. But at the same time, uh, their pastor, uh, Michael and Debbie Lapian, also found out that he has cancer. And so we want to pray for Michael in the midst of all of this, both joy and sorrow. The other um, is that uh, Grace F., uh, this week, and uh, Grace and Weberton and their family had an unexpected loss of her mother. And so we want to remember them as well. Friends, would you join me in a prayer? God, our Father, Christ, the one through whom everything is made, Spirit who breathes life upon the world, we come to you as our Creator and Redeemer. You made everything there is, and everything you made is good. In this world, it is sin and sickness and death that diminish life, not you. You, O oh God, restore it. You restore it through the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Spirit breathing new life into us. As a community of little Christs being made like you, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, make us more than we are. Unite us to Christ so that we might have his mind, his courage, his love, his relationship with you by living vibrantly in us. What we are asking, Lord, is please marry us. For in you we find all joy lost in this world. We find all fullness lost by loneliness in this world. We find all purpose and meaning diminished by this world. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to praying for those who are experiencing loneliness and loss and diminishment in this world. We pray for Michael and Debbie even as their church is growing up, Michael is experiencing loss of weight, enduring chemotherapy, and worried about the future. We ask that you would draw near to him and Debbie today. We pray uh, for Jim and Joy B, who are recovering from COVID. 
We pray for Grace F. and for Webberton and their family after the sudden and unexpected loss of her mother. Lord, they did not know that they were going to be saying goodbye. So we ask that you would be with Grace and Webberton and Victoria and Webberton Jr., and that you would be with her sister who had an aneurysm and her brother-in-law who had a stroke. Please help them to endure these losses and tragedies and to recover. Lord, we pray today also for the work of our partners in the gospel who are helping us to proclaim the restoring and transforming good news of Jesus, both near and far. Lord, we want to lift up the Spalinks. We pray for Larry and Ruth as they're in the States reconnecting with people on home service. We ask that you would give them rest and restoration. We thank you for the growth in the church in Japan that they have been able to see, and in particular for the Werner family who's joined the team. We pray for Gordon uh, Koistra, uh, who's found out recently that he has pancreatic cancer. Lord, uh, we give thanks that he's able to find thanks in, in the news that it's not aggressive. We ask that you would treat him, that you would heal him, that you'd give him energy. We pray for the work of Mission India. Uh, we pray about persecution that's increasing there, that God would keep the existing channels open and that our brothers and sisters in India would, India would be able to grow in strength and endurance as they face trials. We pray for John and Carol Berthelet and their work with Wycliffe, uh, for the team of linguists that John supervises, for new interns, Chris and Emily. We pray that those folks would be able to adapt quickly to their roles and fit in well with the team. We pray for John for wisdom as he guides their work. We pray for Carol and her work in checking scripture. Uh, please provide her a stable internet connection so that uh, she's able to do this work faithfully and well. We pray for Carol as she checks the book of Revelation in particular. Uh, please help her translation team to make the translation clear and natural and faithful to the original text. We pray back home for Carol's father's health too, who has, which has deteriorated in the last couple of months. Lord, we pray that you would be with her as she's far away from her dad at this time. We pray for David and Jan Koistra. Um, on their behalf, we pray for their dad, Gordon, we pray for Jan as she works in a very difficult public high school situation and sees so many kids who need all of the things that Jesus gives. We pray for Lauren as she continues to have health issues related to COVID. We pray for David's work at Wycliffe and in a month that he'll be teaching a large class. We pray for those traveling for this class from Brazil and other places in the aviation school to be able to be part of it. We pray for people whom he is uh, mentoring uh, through Kenya um, and their travels as well. Closer to home, Lord, we pray for Mike Sullivan and for Mayus City. Uh, as they step into the fall season, we ask that you would, God, continue to transform them by your word and spirit so that they become more like you as they walk with Jesus together. We pray that they would be faithful in particular with the following focus areas in their worship, in their welcome, and in their witness. Lord, we pray for the Massos, uh, that they would be equipped to send out people into the field and that you would watch over the health of their family. We pray for our reframe uh, missionaries as well, for Jerry on and a leader's retreat uh, that was coming together, for deepening relationships at that retreat, ongoing collaboration, for rejuvenation. 
We pray also for the preaching and sharing about their ministries while they're in North America, despite the language barrier and jet lag. We pray for their publishing ministry, and we pray for e-reader app development and other opportunities to find ways to communicate the gospel. We pray for Sergey in his work. And Lord, we pray for Scott, and for the Larsons, and for Straight Ahead Ministry. We pray for wisdom and that you would provide for them as they look to expand re-entry services in Springfield and Brockton, Gardner, and Fitchburg. We pray that our partnership with Straight Ahead could continue to be a vital source of support for them right now. And Lord, gathered here, we pray for ourselves that you would continue your restoring and transforming and recreating work in us as we turn our attention to your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 5, and then a passage from 1 Corinthians 6. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but... I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know? that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins 
a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word of the Lord. If you can, for a minute, imagine what it's like to be me. This, this is not an easy place to stand before a text like this. And it's important to me that it go well. And it's important to me that as much as possible we not under, misunderstand things. And so at the outset, I want to highlight two things for you. And that, first of all, is that we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians right now. And so if you are visiting with us or if you just happen to find this particular sermon on the internet, uh, it's important that you know that you are jumping in mid-story. And as Paul says there in in chapter 5, sexual immorality is among a list of a number of things that we might do with our body which hurt the body. Okay, So this is not the only thing that we talk about. Right. So please, please know that. The other thing is that as difficult as this can be to talk about, it's good to know that the Holy Spirit brings things like this to our attention to help us to grow. And sometimes he does that in unlikely ways. Sometimes in talking about this, it might lead us to something else he's trying to work on in our life. Right. So we don't always know where these things will go in the spiritual life of what God is doing in our lives, right? Friends, would you join me and let's pray. Lord, uh, we gather this morning in your presence, which you have made available to us freely. You have disclosed yourself to us. You have revealed yourself to us. And it is in your revealing of who you are that we are also revealed. And we forget sometimes the, the intimacy and the vulnerability involved in those words which we say all the time. And so we ask, O oh God, that by your Spirit you would come And that you would give us strength and wisdom and courage to look at Paul's words and to look at our world and our own lives and to know what they mean for us. Help us to be still so that you can do your work. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was 16, the most pressing spiritual question I had was if I should date Mary. I didn't. That was the question that I carried with me every time I went to youth group or a youth conference or all of those things. And I was at a moment in time where questions like that were something that the youth conferences and the youth groups were talking about all of the time. All of us come into the world mid-story. 
And it takes us a while to figure out what happened before we got here and where we are. I came into the story of Western American evangelicalism during the purity culture movement of the 90s and the aughts. Joshua Harris had just written, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and the purity movement was in full swing, or should I say abstinence. We had purity talks, we were given true love weight stickers, they read us statistics about STDs, and they said the short game of sex before marriage wasn't worth it, and they promised us that one day, saving ourselves from marriage would be worth it when God gave us a spouse. We watched Mandy Moore play the pastor's daughter in A Walk to Remember, and we believed her when she sang the anthem of our heart, it's going to be great, it's going to be more than I can take, it's going to be free, it's going to be real, it's going to change everything I feel, it's going to be me, baby, it's going to be you, baby, it's going to be love. What they didn't quite say, but what we heard was that marriage would make us happy, whole, and sexually satisfied if we could just wait. Some of us are still waiting to get married. Some of us did marry, but we're still waiting for the wholeness we were promised. Some of us gave up waiting altogether, and we failed the purity standard and felt dirty and cast aside, and like we missed our shot. The purity culture movement was a reaction against the increasing sexual freedom and license in our modern world. The purity movement understood that the Christian sexual ethic is chastity. And what it did is it tried to make it popular. It tried to make chastity cool and edgy. What they forgot is what C.S. Lewis wrote at the beginning of his essay on Christian sexuality, which is this. Chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. There's no getting away from it. The Christian rule is either marriage with complete faithfulness to one partner or else total abstinence. In his recent book, Jake Meter uh, says that evangelicals talking about this moment where I came into the story, and he did too, was talking about how evangelicals were trying to respond to the excesses of the sexual revolution by saying, quote, if you really want hot sex, Try abstinence before marriage and monogamy after. They sought to win the sexual arms race by showing that Christians have better sex. This has been a losing fight. Instead of adopting many of the values and habits of the surrounding culture and baptizing them, it would have been better to do what the early church did, which was to lean into the weirdness of sexual Christian teachings which is what Paul is doing today for the Corinthians. He is writing to them, urging them to lean into the weirdness of Christian sexuality amidst a confused and hostile culture. So one of the things we have to know is that in the ancient world, sex is very common. All right? In the ancient world, you have several different kinds of prostitution and prostitutes, and all of this is legal. You have lower-class everyday prostitutes. You have your high-end call girls. They call them courtesans. You have religious prostitutes. In fact, if you were to go to the city of Corinth and look up on a ridge just above the city, you would see a temple to Aphrodite. And in the temple of Aphrodite is about a thousand religious cult prostitutes who are there for one reason, to be available to the city. So in addition to this, it's also understood and expected that slaves are available sexually, both male and female. 
And so it's important that we see this because what I'm about to tell you is that in the ancient world, Christianity, what Paul is advocating to, uh, to the Corinthians, doesn't represent merely a different choice of values, but an inversion of values. There is an early letter to a guy named Diognetus, fascinating letter, Everybody's trying to figure out who these Christians are and what this is about. Nobody can quite make sense of it. And so there's an author who's writing to Diognetus and he's trying to explain Christians. Uh, and he says, uh, you can't distinguish Christians uh, by the country they come from and you can't distinguish them by the accent they speak with or the language they speak with, right? He says, for Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor customs what they observe. They display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as foreigners. They marry as do all others. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And in ancient Roman culture, it was the opposite. Contrary to... Uh, ancient Roman culture was status and money stingy and sexually free. The Christians will share their bread with anyone, but not their bed. They are financially promiscuous and sexually restrictive. They are the opposite. See, contrary to popular belief, both then and today, there is no such thing as meaningless sex. Sex always means something. In ancient Roman culture, sex was tied to status and power and stability. But that doesn't mean that it's available to everyone in the same way. No, in the ancient world, it's, it's uh, you could say, asymmetrical. Right? So wealthy Roman men can and are encouraged to have sex with anyone of lower status than them. And they have many options available to them. The only people that they can't sleep with are the wives of other Roman land-holding men. Right? In fact, uh, that's why it was necessary to have all of these options available to Roman men, because without them, they might wind up sleeping with other wives, and this would create questions about legal heirs. And then the whole stability of the empire is put at risk because you don't know who, who the money belongs to, who the land belongs to, who's in charge. Do you see? This is important to me that we understand this, so bear with me for a second. It's not just that the Roman world had a lot of options sexually. It's that they believed that they could not do without them. They were not questioned for this reason. Jake Meter says it like this. He says, the empire has millions of de facto sex slaves, and this is viewed as a good thing for society. Because that was the only way that the voracious appetites of property Roman men could be contained. Quote, the classical world assumed that male sexual energy was basically boundless and that the stability of the city relied on finding ways to direct that energy. This meant that for men, any number of sexual acts was admissible and the sexual well-being of virtually everyone else was a matter of no concern. Do you see now why the Christian sexual ethic put the Corinthians at odd, at odds with their culture? 
Christianity was not challenging. What Paul is saying here is not challenging the frequency or the number of partners or the gender, but the very belief that sex cannot and should not be controlled. Contrary to popular belief, sex always means something. And in ancient Roman culture, the irony is that all this sexual freedom actually led to slavery and a devaluing of the body. It enslaved Roman men to the power of their own desires and the rest of society is co-opted with it. And it debased the bodies of millions of people of lower status and specifically women by turning them into mere vessels. And so enter the, the Christian vision for sexuality that Paul articulates here. And what we see is it's not just different. It actually makes it very, very hard to be a genuinely different sexual counterculture. And apparently it is causing problems in Corinth. We can tell, by, we can tell that by the strenuous nature of Paul's language and also by how much time he spends on it. Right, Paul starts off in chapter 5 in a verse uh, that we didn't look at, but he, he starts this whole conversation conveying shock and horror about a specific situation in the church. There's a member of the church who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. This is probably not his biological mother. It's probably a, a father's later wife. And Paul gets after the community to tell them that they cannot let this go. They, they have to go to him, and they have to deal with this. Why? Because it hurts the body, capital T, capital B. It hurts the body. And this is important and interesting, and this is why I'm starting here, right? Paul, Paul does not put this guy on blast for his behavior. He also does not name the mother-in-law, which is interesting because when this happened in the, in the ancient literature, it was always her fault. Paul doesn't, he leaves her out of this entirely, and he doesn't even go after the guy. What he does is he places responsibility entirely on the community. Paul is not saying, look, I understand you have a bad apple in the orchard. So just pluck it off, toss it out. He doesn't say this, this guy has to be booted out to preserve the purity of the church. He's saying the fact that the church can tolerate this is a sign of its impurity and complicity in sexual immorality. You know, I, I wrote to you, Paul says, at one time uh, to separate from the immoral, but you misunderstood me. I wasn't saying, like, to separate yourselves from the bad people out there. If, if you were going to do that, you would have to leave the world altogether. It would be impossible. If you wanted to be in a place where there is no sexual immorality, you would have to leave the world altogether, which is not a comment on society, but wry commentary on the church. Do you see? That explains to us then why Paul goes in chapter 6 to talk about this the way that he does. Because there's apparently a number of people visiting prostitutes. And Paul, uh, for Paul, this is not a sign that there's a couple of people missing out on God's best. This is a sign that the whole church is struggling to keep this value, which is very, very difficult to keep. 
And so Paul does not call out individuals participating in sexual immorality. Instead, he goes after, he goes after two common beliefs that the church has about sexuality. It's important, right? So he doesn't go after the individuals who are causing the problem. He goes after the thing that everybody sort of believes in the water. And he does it by quoting two popular views about sexuality in Corinth. You can see them in verse 12 and 13. You say, Paul says, I have the right to do anything. And then again, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. And to paraphrase these statements, we could say it like this. God saved me by his grace. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. I'm free to live my life in the world and I get to decide what's right for me. The other one, uh, sex is just an appetite. When you need food, you eat. When you need sex, you have it. It's just desire. It's not a big deal. Bodies are going to be destroyed anyway. And now be careful because, right, these views, by the way, are thousands of years old from another culture. And if we're not careful, we might forget this is an ancient letter. This popular view says that what we do with our bodies is really up to me. And what I choose to do is of no consequence anyway. No more consequence than eating a meal. And if you think about that for a second, there's an irony, isn't there? Because on the, on the one hand, they are saying that bodies don't matter and that the desires of our body are actually uh, not of consequence. And at the same time, what they're saying is that we are enslaved to those desires. Because if I don't eat, I will die. If I don't satisfy my sexual appetite, I will be an unfulfilled person. And what Paul says about this is not work harder, everybody. He says your view of the body is too low. And your belief in the power of your desires is too high. Paul says, don't you know don't you know that Jesus was raised from the dead in his body and you will be too? Friends, your body matters so very, very much to God that Jesus gave his to redeem yours. So how can we then go about saying that what you do with your body doesn't matter if literally Jesus gave his to redeem yours? And, and you're saying, everybody, that you're free. Well, of course you're free. I mean, that's what the resurrection does, is it sets you free from slavery. Sure, you can do what you feel, but you will become a slave to what you feel. And why would you use your freedom in a way that turns you into a slave? When, when you sleep with a prostitute, that's what's happening, Paul says. Don't you know that when two people become one, they become one? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Paul, what, did you just say, don't you know that when two are physically joined, they become joined? Well, that seems obvious. No, no, no. What Paul is saying is that when two are physically joined, they become one flesh. Friends, 
Contrary to popular belief, sex always means something. Paul is saying that that sex is not a physical joining of two bodies for a moment. Sex is a joining of two persons. Two physical beings become one flesh. In in sex, you are saying with your body and your soul that I want to join my whole person to your whole person. Sex involves a whole life surrender to another person, which is why it is only safe in the context of vows made in public before witnesses and God himself. Because that is the only container strong enough to hold this thing. And Paul is saying, when you join with a prostitute, you are putting your whole person, body, soul, and spirit in her hands. And she suddenly has power over you. Right? And, and so the desires that seem of no consequence have in fact made you her slave. Is that what you wanted? I don't think so. It's ironic, right? On the, on the one hand, we think that desires, we want to believe that desires aren't all that significant. Different strokes for different folks. Bodies just have needs. And at the same time, we find it hard to question desires, don't we? And what Paul is saying is that that is not the sign of a free person, but a slave. I knew a pastor once who was working with a church to help a couple. They had gotten into trouble. The husband was having an affair. She came to them. She asked for help. They came to him. They wanted to talk to him about it. They went with him. They, they pleaded with him to give it up. They tried to show him the impact it's having on other people, his, his family, his kids, his, his children. What, he was going to lose his church community? He said, I don't want to. Why? The sex was too good. Paul might just say, that does not sound to me like the words of a free man. It sounds like a slave. And in a weird way, this puts us in a very similar place as the first century. Right? Because, all right, it's not the same It's different in an important way. One, exploitive sex is gladly something we no longer tolerate. This is a good thing. Consent is very, very important to us. And yet, on another level, it is the same. Because in the ancient world, the city, the government is fragile. And sex is seen as a way to provide stability. And so you don't challenge the sexual energies of powerful men because the city might fall down. Today, the city is stable, but our individual identities are so fragile. We believe that sex and sexual expression have become absolutely essential to being a whole person. And so we cannot challenge or stifle sexual energies or identities because we are afraid we will fall apart. We say, I get to decide what's right for me, but spiritually, right? If you think about this, if I, and I turn this over in my mind, right? In my heart, and I looked at this, and I think that what we are actually saying is I'm afraid of what will happen if I allow Jesus to tell me what to do with my body. We're saying, I, I, I get to decide what's right for me. What we mean is I'm afraid of what will happen if I give control to Jesus, We say food for the stomach and sex for the body and it's no big deal, but what we actually mean is my desires are very precious to me and I am not sure who I would be without them. 
In one sense, we say bodies don't matter all that much, but in another sense, we're afraid that without them, we would live an unfulfilled life. Friends, the, the Christian sexual ethic is very hard, and we are going to struggle over this as a body and individually, and it does put us at odds with everyone. And it only makes sense. It only actually makes sense if Jesus is who he said he is. For what Paul is showing us, he goes to the resurrection and he says, remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if there's one thing that the resurrection means, is it means that Jesus was right about everything. It means that Jesus has become the one and only person in the history of the world who has the right to tell us what to do about anything and everything with our lives, with our money, with our time, with our bodies. For he paid for all of it with his own blood and body. He redeemed our bodies with his body. <laughs> Friends, Jesus entered a world of damaged sexuality and shame, and he did so celibate. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was single? Have you ever wondered that? Someone not so long ago asked me that question. Why was he single? And I know there's the... Uh, there's the book, right, about this. Don't just, don't even worry about the secret life of Jesus and Mary. It's not just, don't even, Jesus was celibate, he was single. Why? It's not because he's some religious ascetic telling us that the, the body is bad and dirty. No, it's because he is telling us that we were meant, in fact, for a more profound experience of intimacy than even sexual pleasure at its best can give us. And you don't have to be married to have it. We were meant to be united body and soul to him. Abigail joined the story of evangelicalism and came of age in it at the same time that I did. She wrote an article a couple of years ago on purity culture in Christianity Today. Uh, and in that, she says that, that she was captured by the same purity movement that, that I was. Uh, but she says that the, she came to discover that the reason that she did it is because she didn't want to ruin her shot at a perfect marriage. Right? And, and during, so she, she avoids dating, or she kisses dating goodbye, she won't hold hands, she keeps the chaperone, all the things, right? And then she goes to Purdue. <laughs> she, sorry, it's a little funny, right? She goes to a major, uh, a major public university, and she says, boy, was my faith challenged there, right? Because on Sunday mornings, I would get up to go to church, and many of the girls on my floor would walk their boyfriends down the hall. And she says, you know, they never mocked me. But they looked at me like they were sad for me. Like I was missing out. And she felt very alone and very, very, very other. So she's keeping the course and relationships with guys are not seeming to work out. And she keeps waiting. She's not sure if it's going to pan out. In the meantime, she begins to look at what Scripture says about marriage, about sexuality, about dating, and it begins, to, it begins to challenge her. She writes, In the end, one central truth became clear to me. Both purity culture 
and the free sex culture of my college campus had the same problem. They centralized sex and romantic relationships, saying that they were essential to fulfillment. See, she expected the loneliness of her convictions, and she was willing to count that cost. What she didn't expect was how God would meet it. She kept waiting for a boyfriend to push back the loneliness. What she got was a church. It started with a Bible study on a Wednesday night because she had nothing else to do. Best reason to go to a Bible study. Well, that turned out to be a kind of gateway drug that led her into hosting community dinners with people on Thursdays in her house. And that led to being part of this meaningful fellowship in real and honest ways with a group of other Christians in a local community called a congregation. And what happened is she found a calling to love and to live among a group of people whom she called brothers and sisters. And she loved them. And she began to allow them to love her. And they served together and they held each other during harrowing times. She still hoped for marriage, she says, but the desire no longer paralyzed her. Why? She was free. Because she understood that Jesus used his body to free her to find a new family in his. Friends, Jesus didn't marry because he's already engaged. He is engaged to you. He is engaged to us. He wants to marry us. Why? I don't know. But he does. And he was willing to pay with his own life for it. And at the end of the story of this world, there is a wedding between Christ and his bride. And there at the table, all the loneliness that we have known here will be dissolved in his embrace. And there at that table, all the pain and damage that sexuality gives to us will be washed away. In fact, for those of us who are in Christ, it already has. For you who were bought with a price. You are no longer a slave to desire or a selfish master. You were bought at a price. You have been washed. Your body and soul have been set right, put back together again, justified, made whole with God and with each other. And even now you have been set apart body and soul for God himself. And God will come and he will call for you. He will take you home. And in the meantime, we have something else to do with our bodies. To use our feet to bring good news. To use our hands to heal and to bless. Our mouth to sing God's praise our minds to learn God's word and his world, our lives to join together by the Spirit, which makes us a body alive with the glory of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me?
Lord God, you pardon our sins, you forgive our disobedience, you do not stay angry forever. Instead, God, you delight to show mercy. Your compassion tramples our sin underfoot. It hurls our iniquities into the sea. It drowns the old life and all its old desires and habits and ways. And it pulls us up again into something brand new. And it gives us a new family. And so we ask, O oh God, that even as we in our own time struggle to be an authentically different sexual counterculture, that you would not abandon us, but that you would come and draw near to us, filling us with your own spirit, reminding us that we are a temple together. Amen. Each and every week, the Lord gives us his words, and it is a lot to receive, and we have chances to respond to that, to know what it means to take it home with us together. And we do that uh, in a couple of different ones, ways. One is by inviting our third through fifth grade students to come up, uh, because they have a chance now to talk with some of our church leaders about the things that they're seeing and saying and learning in church together. So guys, come on up if you would. We have a blessing for you. Hey guys, people of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. That's you guys. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. Friends, I'd invite you to rise in body and spirit and respond together with us by singing. Of living color, flashes of light. 
Brothers and sisters, as the new family of God, sons and daughters purchased, bought, redeemed by him, let's join our voices together and, and say together the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For this is the kingdom, the power, the Brothers and sisters, gathered into this place, it has taken the entire service to get to a place where we could hear and be ready and know and believe what I'm about to say to you, which is God's benediction and blessing. He has turned his face toward you, my friends, and he will not change his mind. I'd invite you with your bodies to lift up your eyes, to open your hands, and to receive these words as a gift from God himself. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Mm -hmm. 
alone in my sorrow and in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began, ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My morning My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me. your endless love pouring over us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame is ransom me safely for. rejoices though heaven had lost but then Jesus arose with his freedom at hand that's when death was arrested and my life began oh your grace so free washes Yeah. 
Friends, go now to love and serve Jesus Christ. Go in peace.